Hello, and welcome back to the Plantopia podcast. Plantopia is the plant health podcast of the American Phytopathological Society. And I'm your host, Jim Bredeen. I'm a professor of plant pathology and associate vice president at the Colorado State University. And today I am talking with Dr. Karen Ferrara de Silva. As an undergraduate student, Karen first studied dance and soon realized a love for plants, graduating with a degree in agronomy. She earned an MS degree in entomology from the University of Nebraska at Lincoln, and in 2020, earned her PhD in agronomy and horticulture with a plant pathology emphasis also at UNL. Her PhD has a really intriguing title. It's called Two Dimensions for Improving Plant Health, Characterization of Biotic Interactions Underlying Plant Immunity, and a nationwide survey on developing future leaders in the plant science disciplines. Karen's work examined hormonal crosstalk in maize subjected simultaneously to two biotic stresses, the Gauss's bacterial wilt and leaf blight pathogen, and the chewing insect, the fall armyworm. And in this work, her colleagues compare and contrast the salicylic and dosmonic acid-mediated responses in a complex tripartite experiment. And last year, she published this work in Arthropod Plant Interactions. Karen's work also examined the leadership development opportunities for graduate students in the plant sciences, identifying this has been presented both at the Plant Health and Entomological Society of America annual meetings. And currently, Karen and her colleagues are working on a manuscript for publication in a peer-reviewed journal. And today, we're going to explore both aspects of Karen's PhD research. Today, Karen is a field scientist with Corteva AgriScience, and she's stationed at Woodland, California. And we'll hear from her perspectives on industry and her advice for plant science students seeking industry careers. I want to point out too that Karen is the secretary treasurer of the APS Pacific Division. Thank you, Karen, for, for serving. And you can connect with Karen on LinkedIn at KFD Silva. Karen, thank you so much for being our guest today on Plantopia. Thanks, Jim. Happy to be here. We're delighted to have you. I'm really curious about your career path and how you ended up in plant pathology. Uh, we all have our origin stories and we think of plant pathology often as a discovery field, but you you really started in a very different direction. Uh, could you tell us about your interest in dance and how you ended up in the plant sciences? Absolutely. Um, yeah, so growing up, you know, um, I was involved in several sports. Um, my family always encouraged me to, to work kind of, you know, uh, team building type of uh, sports where you interact with a lot of different uh, people. And um, at that point, I started actually um, doing ballet, uh, taking ballet classes and um, and really moving towards more competitions uh, after a few years. And, um, and you know, it takes a lot of your time and, and, um, and a lot of discipline to keep up with all those competitions. So it, it kind of really shaped my, my whole, um, like really growing up as um, back to in, in, in my country, kind of just being in this arena of dancing and uh, being very disciplined and, so growing up, I've always been also very interested in, in bugs. Uh, so we 
finishing up um, kind of in high school, we moved to the countryside. Um, and that's where I was involved a lot with the nature um, agriculture that was uh, very heavy in the region where I, I, I moved to. When you're trying to choose what you want to do when you become an adult, right? Uh, what career path you wanted to to take? Um, I, I I felt that uh, kind of agriculture, agronomy would uh, uh, really kind of build into that passion that I I started developing around um, agriculture. The scientific part definitely I developed later on at, in in grad in in uh, during in my college uh, as an undergraduate uh, degree in agronomy. But that's kind of how I moved from being a dancer to being an agronomist. <laughs> and are you still involved in dance? Uh, well, you know, I would love to come back at uh, some point. Um, I, I take a few classes here and there when um, I was in Nebraska. But um, I think now I just dance for, for fun, maybe in, in you know when you go parties. Um, that's, that's fair. All, that's all the all I can I can do for dancing nowadays. So you talked though about dance really requiring discipline. Has that helped you in other aspects of your career or, or, or maybe grad school? It did. It did. Um uh, that focus that you you develop. Um, as a, a ballerina, um, it, it definitely transfer in other parts of uh, your your life, and um, I, I think it's uh, it's one of the, actually the major and, and resilient. I think I would say that I think of the major um, attributes if you you're going to grad school, and I, I'm I'm sure that helped uh, guiding me through the the graduate program. Yeah, that that really sounds like grad school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, we are very happy that you are in the plant sciences and, and plant pathology in particular. Um, could you talk a bit about your PhD research, which I, I think is pretty unique. There, there's a lot that's out there already on plant responses to, um, you know, to, to biotic um, challenges, whether it's a, a pathogen or, or an insect pest. What's different about your research? Yeah, so... Uh, typically, when we are looking at plant host resistance and 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 the testing, um, looking into you know systemic acquired resistance or uh, other attributes uh, for for plant responses, uh, we typically look at you know one, and I'll say here as for for pest management, we look into one specific organism, and testing a different. Um, uh, collecting different data over that interaction. Uh, but uh, my undergraduate degree was in agronomy. So I love plants. Uh, and when I started working towards more the pest management uh, side, uh, I felt that it would have been interesting to understand what is going on in a system, right? Because when we are um, growing plants out in the field, they are not just being exposed to one single organism. There's a lot of things happening, um, biotic or abiotic uh, factors that are affecting those plants. So uh, what I wanted to, to, to look at, if we involve other organisms 
how can we predict something else that there's just you know our one model one organism one plant is not really uh, observing is not providing uh, to us and because of my my master's degree in entomology um, I had in a good handle working with insects so I thought that would be a good combination now or then with my PhD in plant pathology to combine um, all those different organisms and look at more holistic approach on what's how plants are responding um, in different under different stressors. So you looked specifically at JA or jasmamic acid and SA salicylic acid. What are those and, and why did you focus on those two systems? Yeah, so those two are uh, hormones. So they are known to be induced um, at, depending on the pathogen or the, the pest that uh, you are working on. And because I chose Clavibacter michiganensis uh, or goswilt in, in, in corn and uh, Spordopter frugiper, the fallwormy worm, uh, those two, they have a different type of feeding. And we know in literature already that this type, different type of feeding will induce specific uh, responses in the plants, which will be in the case of the bacteria, because it's a biotrophic pathogen who induce salicylic acid. And the the chewing herbivore, power worm, will induce hegemonic acid. So with the previous knowledge they already gathered from literature, um, knowing kind of already that specific um, uh, responses, those specific responses, I think it would um, kind of make it easier to move on with uh, our objectives, especially when we are including so many different factors or stressors. So, so to summarize, uh, clavibacter triggers SA-mediated responses, and the fall armyworm triggers JA-mediated responses, and they tend to be antagonistic. Right. They do, yeah. So that's another piece that is also wide known in literature is that they cross, they have this crosstalk, and um, they are antagonistic to each other. Mm. Really, really interesting. So tell us about your your experimental approach and and what you found. As a, I would say, wearing the biology head, being a biologist, I was really looking to what is going on as far as for. Uh, past development and and maybe some what's going on in the plant uh, when we are putting all the stressors uh, together and um, and all those uh, those tests were performed in, in greenhouse or more controlled environment to again it's a com complex system that we're trying to minimize any other stressors that might be happening uh, out there um, so what I would like to, I wanted to understand is what's going on with those pests. Is there any other, is it, is it one pest mitigating the development of other pests or what's going on in the plant when uh, those two important corn pests are, are attacking uh, uh, the, the corn seedling? And then the other aspect I wanted to see is what's going on with the hormones? Are they really also being stimulated out there as a defense mechanism or um, they are really not doing anything as far as 
being that host plan defense mechanism that um, we are seeing when there's just one specific pest. And uh, what I did, I um, as I said, in the greenhouse, I, I exposed it both um, organisms to the plants. And it was kind of interesting just to determine how to do that because, you know, how you're going to inoculate a a bacteria in the plants, but also you're going to have the chewing factor happening there. So it took me a while to just to develop that assay uh, to ensure that we're capturing what would happen in nature. Um, and then after that, I would collect the samples and send to the lab. So do more of the molecular work and, and, uh, and looking into real-time PCR, the, the levels of uh, hormones. So the data that you generated in your study are transcription data for particular reporter genes in the JA and SA biosynthesis pathways? Yes. Uh, so once I collected the samples uh, that were, that suffered that stimuli from both for, uh, pat the pathogen and the, the insect, uh, I performed the, the transcriptomic and we use the pathogenic related um, uh, genes to look for the salicylic acid and uh, some other uh, reporter genes for jasmonic acid. And in addition to that, we also tend to uh, look at uh, hormone levels in, in our proteomics and metabolomics facility at the university. Um, and that actually gave us so much data. It was not only to choose two hormones, but we also got um, uh, data from ethylene and some other hormones that you know, if you're a biochemistry, you would have a lot of fun just try to identify all those pathways and if they are correlating. But I, I try to make it simple and looking at the salicylic acid and jasmonic acid pathways. So it sounds like this is a really data-rich project, and you've you've published a portion of this um, last year in Arthropod Plant Interactions, and we'll include a link to this article on the plantopiapodcast.org website. But I'm curious, what, what comes next for this particular project? Right. So for, for next, we would like to uh, to work more on the validation and uh, uh, of this essay. Um, we did see that that antagonistic crosstalk happening um, for jasmonic acid, lysolic acid. And, and just to add a little bit of complexity of this project, we tested different uh, varieties of corn. So we saw that resistant variety to the bacterial uh, pathogen is kind of a, providing some enhanced development of farm worm. But I think we need to look into more that specifically, uh, that those specific instances where you're testing um, maybe other biotrophic pathogens just to kind of confirm if we're seeing this um, this pattern of uh, responses. And we also uh, would love to see how in a, a broad uh, spectrum, how other hormones are also being um, stimulating or being produced uh, over under this uh, past host combinations that uh, we, we tried in these assays. Um, and, and ultimately, what we like to see is in under field conditions, right, more uh, not as controlled environments, we would see some of those 
those episodes because you know if we're looking at one pathogen or one pest that is affecting the development of other pathogen in the field and this could it would be worry us uh, that we are when we are using some resistant varieties out in the field that could not be working because there are other factors out there that are uh, affecting uh, their plant responses and the the immune system. Yeah, biology certainly is very complicated, and I think you've taken an important step towards understanding some of that complication, but there clearly is a lot more to be done, and I, I look forward to see seeing where this research goes in the future, too. So thanks for sharing that, that project. Now, your, your PhD, um, of course, also included this, this other very different type of research that was focused on a nationwide survey to understand what leadership looks like in, in plant science disciplines. How did you get involved in this line of research? Yeah, that's, I think that's the most exciting part of my PhD is how, you know, how I got involved to leadership development studies. Um, and kind of heading, going back a little bit, when I, um, when I started my, my master's degree, in entomology at University of Nebraska, um, you know, we, as students, we are focused on our research and all the, the technical aspects of this, but I, I wanted to improve my communication skills. I wanted to kind of talk about different topics and, and continue interacting with other students that are not in my lab or, you know, what I was doing research with that, um, I was hoping that those type of interactions would help with my communication skills. Um, I came from from South America to United States, and um, and communication for me was important as something that I wanted to to improve. So I had amazing mentors and advisors that supported me to get involved with uh, uh, student clubs. Uh, the the entomology department uh, have uh, have uh, having an incredible. Um, student organization there, um, housed in the department. And so I started uh, attending those meetings and interacting with topics beyond my research. And kind of naturally, really, it started leading me to more towards the uh, student advocacy. So then I started attending the grad student or grad, graduate student association of the university. So um, get involved in that aspect. I became the president of the, the GSA, the Graduate Student Association at UNL. And then I, from, from that uh, group, I also that got involved with the National Graduate Student Association um, in DC. So I was the, the one of the board director and also um, international student advocate for um, the whole, the National Association. So kind of naturally things were, leading to them more like leadership and advocacy uh, activities. And when I was uh, in the plant pathology department, um, Sydney Everhard, my advisor at, at that time, and uh, together with the, um, the dean of the College of Agriculture and Natural Resources, uh, Tiffany Hank, uh, Dr. Tiffany Hank Moss, uh, they approached me and if I was interested to look into the survey that will uh, 
identify ways we could improve leadership development among graduate students. And when they brought this topic, because you know I was already involved in sort of this leadership component, um, I was very excited. I was like, yeah, I, I would love to work with it. But um, obviously, you know, it's a different type of science that um, we can talk about it. But um, at, at the beginning, uh, I think it was very exciting. And I'm grateful that um, Stini and Tiffany, they they gave me this opportunity to to help. So I was kind of already advocating, trying to help in, in the, the graduate student uh, level, but kind of make a, a broader impact nationally in, in, in helping graduate students. Wonderful. I, I was actually going to ask you what your graduate advisors thought of um, including this particular topic in your PhD thesis, but it seems like they were the impetus for this, which is um, really refreshing. And you, you alluded to the fact that this type of uh, a survey approach is really a very different skill set. It's, it's more of a social science skill set, I, I think. And so the, the design of, of an experimental approach, a design of a survey um, analysis of, of data really pulls in other areas of expertise than we might traditionally have in, in plant pathology. How did you... How did you broach these, these subjects? Have you worked with um, other individuals in this topic? Yes. Um, so I had the help of uh, several uh, professionals uh, at the university. And at the beginning, Sini was uh, uh, really helping me a lot. It kind of just identify what are the goal of our survey, what are the topics that we want to approach, and then uh, I worked with the the social scientists at the university um, to elaborate questions. I also had a um, a pilot survey that um, I actually selected a few professionals that um, I was able to validate for those questions that were coming or elab uh, elaborating were valid and wouldn't make sense for us. And as far as for the analysis of the the results of the survey. Uh, I did help with statistician. Uh, the statistics department helped me a lot of analyzing some of the quantitative data. And then for the qualitative data, I had help from the sociological uh, department at UNL. It sounds like you learned a lot of uh, different disciplines in, in the context of this, which is really exciting. So give us an example of questions that you you asked in this survey. The survey was composed of 50 questions and they were divided into different blocks. But for me, the most difficult part was to elaborating uh, demographic questions. This is one of the most important questions that you have in a survey because you can load so much data information if you ask the right questions as far as for uh, the demographics. So that was one piece that for me was uh, uh, important and and I learned a lot uh, uh, doing that. So questions would be the employment type of the participants, um, where they are working, if they are grad students or they are already professionals, already graduated, uh, what type of uh, leadership 
um, experiences that they've been performing, uh, more formal leadership um, roles or informal, you know, uh, experiences that don't don't have a a, a formal position. I'll say a a defined role. Other uh, questions for the demographics would be what if they are in leadership roles, what levels seniority that they would be. So we had to really think about how we want to approach this demographics because that's what would lead us to correlate with the other blocks later on and come up with the the data and the the results. And so ultimately your survey went to graduate students and working professionals worldwide or in the US? Yeah, so with this survey we uh so we we focus nationally, and those the participants we're looking at they uh, would be in the agricultural uh, plant sciences disciplines, and to make it easier to collect these participants and these poor participants, we approach it in a way that we 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 basically focus on the the societies. So we looked into the American Pathological Society the entomological society and the tree societies. Uh, I, we felt that looking into these different societies, we would be able to collect a more diverse pool of participants, but it's still being within the agricultural plants and sciences. Uh, but those, this survey was uh, a national uh, survey. And then beyond that, we, we were really interested in looking at uh, Getting, getting most of the experiences from these professionals and grad students on how we can improve leadership um, in, in so, so I think we all want to know at this point what what did you find out? Yes, that's uh, so we 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 have a lot of data, Jim, and uh, we actually had to focus on specific topics because, we we got a a, a very a very interesting data, uh, but a lot of data. Uh, just to give you a, a uh, an insight here, we we sent out to almost seven thousand people this survey, and we got fifteen percent completion rate of this survey, which is considered very very high if you look around uh, just. Uh, survey uh, completion rates in, in general. And from there, we're looking in our main goal. We know that leadership is important. Leadership development is important. But we wanted to narrow down how we can improve leadership development within universities. So we're looking at uh, some experiences and activities that those professionals had during grad school. Um, some we're looking to importance on the professional skills and other other people will say um, emotional intelligence, but we kind of focus on the professional skills as uh, the the topic of interest. Uh, we also wanted to look at what are the barriers that are in grad school that it's kind of being detrimental for the, the leadership development. And one of the most interesting uh, parts of the survey, we asked kind of open-end questions. Um, so the uh, the participants, they could uh, elaborate on how 
they envision improving leadership in graduate school. Um, and, and they provided a lot of the good information for us. And my interest and my focus was looking at, uh, of course, dividing the graduate students versus professionals. Uh, we also wanted to look if there is any uh, differences in employment type. We asked our uh, participants if they were in doctor doctoral universities, in, in government, in industry. And there were a lot of categories there, but uh, we ended up uh, trying to understand if there's any differences between uh, doctoral universities or academia versus industry. And the reason for that, and I think Jim, it, it's the currently uh, we are seeing uh, as far as for employability that it, it's it's differing a lot from the past, where a lot of the graduate students will get a, a get a job in in academia and and following the professorship uh, pathway. I think um, from what we're seeing right now, there is. Students have to be more prepared to a broad range of different uh, experiences and, employ and employees. So looking at how we can develop a leadership and target a different em employees, that will give us the students uh, an ability to understand how they can shape up those skills. And if they decided to go to industry you know, like me or or go to or stay in academia, um, those skills will serve well for them. One of the questions that we asked was, uh, we, we, we provide a bunch of, uh, a lot of different categories on type of experiences that um, those participants felt that were important for them to develop a leadership. And when we look at uh, this uh, different experience experiences, one interesting observation that we made is that uh, observing other leaders was in the top of experiences, we call experiences for those participants that helped them in developing leadership skills. Um, and those uh, what about 43% of our participants uh, chose observing other leaders as um, the top experience for them. Uh, that was followed by job experiences. So um, having that type of uh, uh, exposure helped with the leadership development and also mentoring students. That was also another uh, experience that um, our participants are very valuable for. So actually serving as mentors for students? Yes, yes. And um, and that can be in those interns or summer workers uh, that would be, you know, or working in, in, in their lab group um, and, and, um, and mentoring them. And those are, as far as for type of experiences that, those were the the main um, the the top three experiences, and we didn't see any differences between academia and industry. Uh, it was an anonymous uh, result that those three experiences were very uh, valued uh, for them. But in the other side, when we look at uh, uh, other experiences such as formal courses that taught leadership development uh, or workshops. Those participants felt that wasn't really important. 
But what we found out later on the survey is, is that not really important? It's because we don't really have those activities in, in graduate sport, those experiences. So it's hard for us to, to really rate if it's important or not, if we're majority of us don't really get the exposure. And later on, when we requested participants to give a more feedback on how we can improve leadership development, um, majority of them actually chose formal um, college courses as the main route for developing leadership. That's really interesting. How does this translate into advice for universities or, or graduate programs or undergraduate programs? Yes. And and one thing, so we look, have to look at what is the current structure right now for, for universities. Uh, one of, uh, and I'm going to just make a parallel here. When we're looking, so I, we ask them, what are the barriers that uh, they think that are preventing leadership development in universities. And when we looked into the results, the majority of the respondents, um, they rated that not being part of the program curriculum is one of the barriers. But it also, students' lack of advisor support and lack of funding to support experiences were among those top three barriers. So I think if we look at those barriers, we could think of ways we can resolve or open up for a more a better understanding of how universities can help these students. Um, and often, when we are, you know, I was graduate student not long ago, and it's hard to put in our day to day activities that is a research related other type of activities that can help our uh, leadership development. And oftentimes there's a lot of pressure out there for us to publish and produce uh, research. And this pressure fell a lot of, in the back of uh, advisors that um, some of them have the best interest to help students, but um, sometimes there's not enough time or enough support for them to to help students and guiding them to this professional development. So I think uh, as uh, the departments, the pathology departments, um, they it would have been important for them to start thinking ways that can support advisors in, uh, in, in really providing that type of mentorship for their graduate students and um, in developing, uh, taking the time to develop other skills that are not only research. When I mentioned from the survey, when I asked the participants in this survey, one of the questions uh, was also understanding what activities that they are performing during their time in graduate school. And we provided activities such as research, teaching, um, service, so participating professional uh, uh, societies, outreach. And we've saw, we've seen there is a, a increase in number of activities that graduate students are participating, comparing from 30, 40 years ago. So if you look into this, uh, this trend of increasing in number of activities, not only research, but they're also participating in outreach. They're also participating in uh, professional societies. I think how we can, uh, I think with students, 
I don't think students are taking fully advantage of the other opportunities and type of engagements that are out there. Uh, but it's not because they don't want to. And I think there's uh, enough exposure of this different opportunities for students. And the fact that the opportunities out there, but we don't have that engagement, I think that's where perhaps departments and professors and advisors uh, could come together identifying how those students can still engage and at the same time you know, producing uh, their, their, their research work. Yeah, I, I see it's uh, really more about juggling all the opportunities, um, obviously being aware of the opportunities, but also having that support to pursue some of these professional development components. And, and I appreciate that you mentioned our professional societies, whether we're talking about APS or um, some of the other incredible professional societies, I think they have a, a collective role to play in professional development of our students as well. So, so thanks for that shout out. Uh, really incredibly interesting research that you and your colleagues have pursued here. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing that peer-reviewed publication um, in, the, in the near future. So congratulations on that work. So Karen, one last question I have for you relates to your current role. You were successful in attracting that industry position and you're now a field scientist with Corteva. What do you do on a daily basis? So for those who don't know, Corteva AgriScience is a one of the, the major uh, agricultural companies. And we work with a, a variety of different solutions for, for farmers from chemical, seeds, digital. So being a field scientist, I get a, a chance to experience in firsthand these new products that are are going to be in the hands of farmers in the next year. I'm currently at a field, uh, located in a field station in Woodland, California. And as a scientist, I elaborate and also apply trials, research trials, testing these this new solutions. And I'm a plant pathologist here at the station, but I'm also experiencing or involved in different disciplines, um, whether it's entomology with science or um, agronomists with agronomists. So uh, it's, it's a very uh, dynamic role, uh, but it's very exciting because we, we definitely can get a chance to, to, to test these this exciting solutions that are coming out to the market. Sounds really exciting. And, and I imagine with your very diverse background in the plant sciences that you're exactly at the right place at this stage of your career. So congratulations on finishing your PhD and on this, this new role as well. Thank you, Jim. We just heard from Dr. Karen Ferreira de Silva. Karen is a field scientist with Corteva AgriScience and she was talking today with us about her PhD research and her perspectives on industry careers. I'm Jim Breeding, the host of Plantopia Podcast. Thank you for joining, and we will talk next time.